You are listening to episode 77 of the Body You Crave podcast, the one where I take you behind the scenes of the making of my newest journal. I'm master at life and weight loss coach Jillian Lama, and you're listening to the Body You Crave podcast, where you'll learn how to end emotional eating, lose excess weight, and feel amazing in your body. No cheating required. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. Hey, hey, welcome back. All right, so big announcement. Some of you may have heard or may have caught in other episodes that the Body You Crave journal has been 2.5 years in the making, but it is finally here. (laughs) And this has been a labor of love And I wanted to just share and give you a behind the scenes of the making of this. And I'm also going to read chapter one. Don't worry, it's not that long because it just gives you a little glimpse into my own perfectionism up close and personal. So I'm going to take you behind the scenes here of just a little bit about what inspired and ignited this whole project to begin with because it wasn't even something I originally had set out to do. So this project in particular started in the summer of 2020, this printed via Amazon self-published book. I had hired a designer to make a PDF downloadable journal for clients that spring. And I thought if they went to Staples or a printer shop that they could have it printed for maybe $20. They could fill it out online or it would be super cheap to just have it printed and maybe wire bound somewhere nearby. When the journal was all said and done and I priced it out, It would cost over $80 to have one journal printed and spiral bound. (laughs) And I was floored. Not only was I floored, I was so frustrated and also mortified because I was just thinking, oh my gosh, people aren't going to be able to pay that. I wouldn't pay that much. And for me, my thinking was also, that doesn't seem to make any sense. I just assumed that it would have been a lot cheaper. Now, I have only had things spiral bound, I think, back in high school for various projects. So I don't think I did my due diligence in being able to test that out. But I had heard other coaches talk about different PDFs and things that they had where they were like, oh, you can always have it printed on your own. I just didn't realize it was going to be that expensive. And so I had priced it out at a couple different places thinking maybe one place in particular was the issue. Maybe one of them was just out of range or one was just really expensive. But no, it priced in that $80 to $100 per book just across the board. So I went to plan B. I just paid to have this journal created. I really like this. And the whole point was just to have another resource for clients to use. That way it wasn't just notes and thoughts and ideas randomly here and there. I wanted something that could be easy for them to keep things like food plans all in one place, things where they could assess, where they could go back and see their progress. I wanted it to be where it wasn't just about the food, but it was about their mindset. It was about the life aspects as well. Not only is there a daily plan for food and habits, and there's a habit tracker in there for the month, but then there's also a daily detox your brain where now we're focused on, okay, what are the top three things that I need to do? What am I really grateful for? What am I most proud of myself for? It's really focused on helping us get into the right mindset to be able to take the action that we want to take because that's ultimately what we need. We don't need another set of eat this, not that. We don't need more rules. We need to better understand why we're not taking the action to begin with, and that's because of how we're thinking about things. As described right here, I'm going to get into this of like why this took me so long (laughs) to work on this. But it's just one of those things that I I really wanted it for clients specifically. Okay, so I had this PDF version made. 
And then I reached out to a few different colleagues. And after speaking with some other designers, there's one that offered me an idea that I hadn't yet considered. And that was creating a journal that had a few chapters at the beginning of it to act as like a book and then self-publish it via Amazon. And I was really resistant to this at first because in my mind, this was supposed to just be for my one-on-one clients. My intention wasn't that anybody randomly searching on Amazon could find it. But I also saw how this would be another opportunity for people to come into my world, for other people to learn about me and to learn about this. And it was also a lower-priced offer to where some people who may not want to work with me one-on-one, who may not have the finances or the budget to be able to work with me one-on-one, could still have a little bit of my coaching and a little bit of my brain that they could then get results with. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So I spent months writing and rewriting the initial book content. And I'm not going to lie, it's 20 pages long. (laughs) It's so short. (laughs) It is really not that many pages. And it, it feels embarrassing to admit that. But I really struggled to figure out what I wanted to say with this section. And so I wrote and rewrote time and time again. So between July and September of 2020, I was constantly writing and rewriting and scratching things out and redoing it. And I finally submitted my last draft to the designer. And I think it was early October. And she sent it back as a full PDF version for me to view and edit. And she sent it back on November 3rd, which was the day I was in labor with Caleb. And so I remember writing her. (laughs) I was like, my water just broke last night. So I'm not going to get to this anytime soon. And just to be totally honest with you. And she was very sweet about that, totally understanding. But I ended up taking about six months off for maternity leave. So the end of 2020 into the beginning of nearly the first half of 2021. And I still met with my clients. So I started meeting with them in January. But I wasn't really actively marketing or selling or really working on anything business related. And I distinctly remember not having much mental bandwidth for the first few months, especially with a newborn, moving across the country. We moved from Arizona to North Carolina traveling to be with family for various family emergencies and funerals. And there was just very little desire to want to get back to work. And I knew that eventually it would come back. I didn't know. I assumed it would at some point, but I didn't try to force it. And so I really enjoyed time with Caleb and I enjoyed our relaxing structure. And I enjoyed being able to sleep in a little bit because we just were not sleeping very well through the night. (laughs) So the journal sat in my inbox for months untouched and it would be months at a time. And it, it was interesting to go back and see. I would work on it for maybe a couple of weeks, send her a revision, and then it would be maybe she'd send something back within a week or two. I would reply maybe once. But there would often be these long gaps of anywhere from three to six months of not working on it, of it falling to the bottom of the priority list. And really, all I was doing was editing this PDF document, right? But it felt so arduous and cumbersome. And that's why it took so long to finish was because of what I was telling myself about the work that was going to be required. So what I'd have to do, how long it was going to take, how boring it was, how tedious it was. And yes, there were some tedious aspects. It was tedious to go through and make sure that there was a daily plan and a detox your brain plan, like these same pages, this many pages for every week, that there were five weeks because some months have five weeks. So I put five weeks in each month and there were two months. So there was some tediousness to it of going through and making sure they all have the same formatting, it's the same questions, it's the same content. And so it did take some time, but not nearly as much time as I was telling myself it was going to take. I just want to be really clear about that. The procrastination came around because of a couple things. Number one was like, what do I really want to say? Is this right? Am I saying the right thing? And the other piece was how I was talking to myself about the time and the energy required. 
Now, it's not a problem that certain things move to the back burner. When I was on maternity leave and for other points thereafter, there were times when this just wasn't a huge priority. And that's okay. But I also did want to finish it. I was so close. And this is something that I've noticed about myself is that I will get 85, maybe close to 90% of the way done. And I don't want to finish the project. (laughs) I am very good at procrastinating up until the very end. I'm great at starting projects. I'm great at working on things. But the actual finishing and shipping it, like getting it ready to go, I'm not the best at that. And I've definitely gotten a lot better. I think the podcast has actually helped me with that. And a lot of times that's just my perfectionism coming up. Of It's a hard to finish because I want to keep going back and rewrite and change these questions and redo this and redo that. Even looking at the front cover and like the color scheme that I picked, I was like, oh, actually, I want different colors. I don't want to say silly stuff, but it's things that in the grand scheme of things don't really matter. And I'm like, it's fine. This is fine. This is version one. This is the first journal. It's only part one. So in my mind, there are more books that can come. There are more journals that can come. This is only the beginning. And so I calm myself down. This does not have to be the end all be all. This is just an introduction and like a welcoming open door into my world. So that's how I started to think about it more. And in really taking the pressure off of I have to say the right thing or it has to look like this or look like that. I think part of me was even maybe not wanting to finish because then I would have to figure out how to launch it and market and sell it versus again, getting back to this was intended to be a tool and a resource for clients and for people who to get results. And it wasn't going to get any results if it was just sitting as a PDF copy in my inbox. And so I kept going back to why did I start this to begin with? What was really driving me? And that was really helpful. So just to give you that, that sneak peek. But I also want to read you chapter one, which is called Trapped in Diet Hell. Because this is, I think, a really key aspect of understanding where I'm coming from, why I do what I do, why I am so hellbent on this is such a great mission and purpose in my life, and seeing how our weight and body image get wrapped up in so many other different aspects. I think health, weight loss, nutrition, emotional eating is always going to be a part of what I do, no matter what else I might add in and how this might shift and pivot. Like this will always be one of the key aspects. And because it's so near and dear to my heart, it's something that's always naturally going to come in. Without further ado, here is chapter one. Like many women today, I first became aware of my weight and body size as a young girl around the age of eight. Be careful, Jilly, my aunt warned. Don't stretch out those shorts. I just washed them. My cousin and I were playing dress up with her clothes, and at first I didn't know what my aunt was talking about. My cousin and I were the same age and roughly the same size, weren't we? Was I really that much bigger than her? Was I fat? I looked down at the shorts I was wearing with hesitation. They seemed to fit, but this was the first time I remember comparing my body to another girl and feeling inadequate. There must be something wrong or bad about me. I don't think my aunt meant anything malicious with her words. It was just what I made those words mean, because I made it mean that I must be fat. So I picked up on subtle cues from my mom, my aunt, my grandma about their weight or wanting to lose weight, and I definitely learned that being fat was bad. My grandma actually had this refrigerator magnet that said, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. It was little things. It was subtle things that we pick up on. So my family and I moved to Ohio when I was 10, and my sister and I flew back to visit family in California two years later. Oh my gosh, Jilly, I can't believe how skinny you are, my grandma swooned while picking us up at the airport. I just can't believe how skinny you are. Wow. She kept raving all through our lunch, but I didn't think I had really changed at all. I was the exact same 10-year-old who had left. 
my 12-year-old mind confirmed that this was proof. I must have been fat before. And I want to pause here and just point out, I think it's really interesting, too, how I was praised for other things outside of being thin. I was praised for scoring a goal, for how well I played soccer, for running fast, for these other aspects. I was definitely praised growing up, but I noticed I also wasn't praised for being tall and skinny because I wasn't, especially compared to my cousin. And so I thought she was so great because she got praised for being tall and skinny, and I just always envied that about her. And the irony is that when we talked about it years later, she was like, I always felt so awkward being the tall and thin one. And people would point it out and talk about it. And I felt so uncomfortable. And she was like, I just wanted to look like you growing up because I thought that you looked normal. And I just wanted to look normal. And I wanted to fit in and look like everybody else. And I, I thought that was so interesting of like, here you have these two girls, both of which who think the other person is the ideal, both thinking, if only I could just look like her. But we didn't know that for years and years until we were in our 20s and actually looking back and talking about it. The other thing that I want to say here too is that I think our, our bodies can change, especially when you don't see somebody for a while. Of course, I was taller and I probably looked a little bit slimmer. And I think from the way that my grandma was remembering me, there's probably some distortions there too. But it was interesting here how I wanted to be praised for being thin. And then when I was, it wasn't good enough. Like, only meant that I must have been fat before because I didn't think I had really changed. I thought I was about the same size. I thought that I was still, I don't know if I would have called myself fat, but I didn't think I was tall and thin. And so for her to say that, it's interesting because it's, oh, now I'm even getting what I want. I'm getting this praise. And yet I'm still making that mean something negative. I'm still making it mean, oh, I must have been fat before. And it's a good example of how our brains work. And not that's how, what it always looks like, but I want to share that and be open because so often we think if I could lose the weight, then I'll feel better about myself. If other people would notice and they would start complimenting me, then I would feel better about myself. But that's always your choice, right? You feeling better about yourself is always your choice. And it is not dependent on what other people say. Because right here, we can be getting praise, we can be getting compliments, and we can choose to feel awkward. We can choose to feel uncomfortable. We can choose to feel embarrassed or ashamed because of what our size was previously. Or... We can choose to feel good about ourselves no matter what. And we can choose to feel good regardless of what the scale says, regardless of the size of our pants. And we get to decide that ahead of time, outside of just our body, which plays into the whole self-love aspect of this month. Okay, back to the chapter. So I was very athletic as a kid. I could run fast, faster than most boys. I played soccer, also better than most boys. And while it looked like most girls my age, I still found myself comparing my body to theirs all throughout middle and high school. I collected evidence for how I wasn't thin enough, pretty enough, or good enough. Does she have a flatter stomach, thinner thighs? I was constantly sizing up my, quote, competition. The worst part of it all was that I was a bully to my younger sister. I called her fat. I told her she had a big butt. Because secretly, I was afraid that those things were true about me. Hurt people hurt people. And I don't say this as an excuse. I say it to show where I was coming from. And again, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. But I have apologized to her multiple times. I recognize it now. I can look back at it now without crying. But for the first couple of times when I was apologizing, I just felt so terrible for how I had treated her growing up. And I could look back with so much compassion for her and for little me that was really feeling unloved, unwanted, like a burden, unaccepted 
all of these other things and wanting to give those two little girls just the biggest hug because that's really what was going on. And so it showed me what was happening. And so I wanted to put that in here too because it's not just about me. It's how this had a ripple effect on other people around me. And she was younger. She was smaller. She was usually thinner. I didn't think that she would have body image issues because she's thinner than I am. So I didn't realize that I was contributing to how she felt about herself and about her body. And that's one thing for me that I've noticed and had to forgive myself for as well and also decide how am I going to do things differently next. I can't keep beating myself up for how I behaved as a 10 or a 12-year-old, but I can choose how I'm going to show up now. And I can choose how I want to show up with my kids, with my nieces and nephews, with other people that I'm around, with other adults that I'm around. Okay, back to the story. (laughs) From the time I was 17 to 31, I told myself I just needed to low-carb harder and run more. If I could just do this, then I'd be thin enough, then I'd be pretty enough, then I'd be happy, loved, or fulfilled. And sometimes it worked, but sometimes it didn't, right? 17 to 31, that's a big age span. Even though I had this fear of being fat from the time I was 8, I never consciously dieted or tried to lose weight until I was about 17. My parents started doing the Atkins diet the summer before senior year of high school, so I proceeded to join them. One night at youth group, I forgot I wasn't supposed to eat carbs until I popped a pita chip in my mouth. I nearly spit it out when I realized what I had done, and had no one been watching, I probably would have because that would have been breaking the rules. I was breaking the rules of no carbs, but I chewed and swallowed, not wanting to make a scene. I didn't realize it at the time, but this is how obsessive dieting begins. You start off simply trying to stick with your diet, not wanting to break the rules, but it can turn into an unhealthy obsession with which foods are good, bad, evil, or toxic. And not only do we moralize food, but then we moralize ourselves based on what we eat. So it creates so much fear and anxiety around the bad or the off-limits food. Don't worry, more on this later. I don't know how much weight I lost that summer, but by the time I started my senior year of high school, I was under 100 pounds which on my five foot three frame was awfully low. I wasn't trying to look sickly. I just wanted a flat stomach and thighs that didn't touch. I just wanted to be skinny, pretty, and liked by the popular kids. Was that too much to ask? Some days I'd go out for a mile or two run before school. Other days I'd get home from soccer practice and proceed to run eight to 10 miles because I didn't get in enough running at practice. Sometimes the running was therapeutic, but most of the time it was done out of fear or punishment. Fear that I'd gain the weight back and be unhappy and unpretty again, or punishment for what I ate the day before. Often, too many carbs or sweets. One winter night in particular, I got back from a 10-mile run around our little town, and instead of eating a real meal, I ate almost an entire half-gallon of low-fat ice cream right out of the container. I wouldn't dare eat the full-fat ice cream, but low-fat made it better. I remember sitting at the table with my sister and her friends, thinking, one more bite won't hurt. And then... I hit the bottom of the container with my spoon, and I was mortified at how much I had just eaten, not to mention the guilt and shame for ruining the last 10 miles I had just run. I resigned myself to running more the next day. Despite my low carbing, you know, except for those half gallons of ice cream and excessive running, I started gaining weight again that spring. I ran track every day after school. Sometimes I swam in the morning with my sister, but found myself to be ravenously hungry throughout the day. Grilled chicken salad for lunch just wasn't cutting it anymore, and despite my best efforts, I gained 25 pounds within four months. I saw a friend from cross-country that summer in the rec center locker room, 
where she made a comment about how I had gotten thick. And I believe her comment was, wow, you look thick (laughs) or something to that effect. That's how I remember it. Now, I'm not sure if she meant that as a compliment, but once again, I was mortified. And more than anything, I was ashamed. How did I let myself get this way? Why wasn't I losing weight even though I was running 8 to 10 miles a day? My freshman year of college, I ran cross-country for the University of the Pacific, and I continued to struggle with my weight, food, body image, and injuries. I was the, quote, fat girl on the team and definitely the slowest one, too. Again, I tried to just cut carbs in the dining hall but found myself craving peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Lucky Charms. I might eat a low-carb dinner, but then I'd go back to my room and eat three or four chewy s'mores granola bars. But every morning was the same old story. Today would be different. Today I'd avoid the carbs. Today I'd just have more willpower and self-control. By my sophomore year of college, I quit the cross-country team but kept running every day. I developed patellar tendinitis in one of my knees and ended up in several months of physical therapy. Despite those challenges, I still didn't stop exercising every day. My greatest fear was gaining weight. And I thought that if I skipped even one day of exercise, the weight would pack on. I avoided the scale like the plague and cringed every time I had to get on it, but I stayed 25 to 30 pounds overweight for the next two years. I hated my body. I hated how chubby my face looked in pictures. I hated that I didn't get the attention of the cute boys in class. My self-esteem was practically non-existent. I kept trying to low-carb harder and run more, but it never created the results I wanted. I was eating, quote, healthy, at least from my perspective, but I was never truly able to stick with a low-carb diet. I kept trying and trying, striving for perfection, yet always falling short. I studied abroad in Moscow, Russia the spring semester of my junior year of college. I met a few people at the embassy gym who were planning to run the White Knights Marathon in St. Petersburg, Russia in June, and they invited me to train with them. I had zero desire to run a marathon, but with that much running, I figured I was bound to lose weight, right? I trained for six long months and did eventually run the marathon, but I only lost a pound or two. I stopped weighing myself about halfway through the training because I was always so disappointed every time I jumped on the scale to see no change despite all the work I was putting in. What I didn't realize at the time was that my body was compensating with increased hunger signals that kept me eating enormous portions and overeating at dinner to make up for the lack of calories and carbs I wasn't eating during the day. That same summer before my senior year of college, my grandma, bless her heart, made the comment, if I didn't know any better, I'd think you were pregnant. Okay, pause here. So I am 21, almost 22, And at this point, I'm still training for the marathon. I'm still actively trying to lose weight. And now (laughs) my lovely grandmother makes a comment about how I look pregnant. And I was already very self-conscious of my stomach. Now, she went on to clarify that I was just small and petite, yet had this little belly that stuck out. But I was so self-consciously, and honestly, I still work on loving myself and every part of my body every day. But her comment only fueled the fire. My exact thought was, oh my gosh, I need to run an extra two miles today. Hearing anyone tell you that you look pregnant when you're not is depressing enough as it is, but when you're actively trying to lose weight, it feels even more soul-crushing. And I want to point out here, side note, that the reason her comment bothered me was because it tapped into my own thought. I could have laughed it off and been like, oh, silly Oma, oh, silly grandma, I can't believe you would think that. Or what, what a silly thought. I could have laughed it off. The problem was that I believed it. 
The problem was I was terrified that she was right. That was the real issue is that thought only bothered me because I already had that thought about myself and I didn't like it. I didn't want that to be my reality and I didn't like the fact that somebody else was noticing it now too. I think that was just this double whammy. So I point that out here as well because it wasn't her words that were the issue. It's what I made that mean and it's the fact that I was already thinking that. I was in agreement with her and I hated that. Okay, back to the story. Don't worry, we're almost done. <laughs> so I went from 100, about 135 pounds to 117 within three months of returning to school. But the most frustrating part was that I didn't even know how. I didn't know what I was doing differently so that I could keep on repeating it. All I knew was that I couldn't stop running. I couldn't eat too many carbs, except for my nightly froyo outing with a friend. And I even added nightly walks on the treadmill to, quote, burn extra calories. So I lost weight but I lived in constant fear of gaining it back again. And I never felt happy or satisfied with where I was. When I was 120, I wanted to be 117. When I was 117, I wanted to be 115. It was this never-ending battle of never feeling good enough. And for the next eight years, my weight continued to fluctuate up and down, and my confidence and self-worth went along with it. So here's the thing. It doesn't matter how closely you stick to your diet rules, whichever ones you try to follow, If you only try to hate yourself skinny and punish yourself for your weight by taking away food or forcing yourself to exercise, you will never lose the weight and keep it off for life. The good news is that if you're ready to break these old patterns that have held you hostage for years so that you can finally lose your weight for good, I'll show you how. So that is the end of chapter one. It's only a few pages, but it's just a backstage view of some of the things that I grew up with. I think it's easy for people to look at others of a certain size or shape or weight and think they must have it so easy. They must be able to eat whatever they want. They don't have my metabolism. They don't have my genetics. We can come up with so many excuses and justifications for other people, and we don't always see what's behind it. We don't see maybe the healthy relationship that they might have with food. We don't see the negative, the poor relationship that they have with food or with their body. That was all such an internal battle. And I kept thinking that if I could just lose the weight, then I would be happy. Then I would feel good about myself. Then I would be worth something. But as I mentioned on the podcast the other week, if you don't truly redefine your value and your self-worth based off of you, your innate value and who you are as a person, You will constantly be seeking that, trying to prove something by earning and achieving other goals. Once you lose the weight, not only are you terrified to keep it off so that you can keep feeling good about yourself in that area, but then your worth and value just get attached to some other thing that you need to achieve. So it keeps jumping from one thing to the next. And that's what we need to change. This is why I have written this journal the way that I have, so that it's not just about goals, it's not just about food, or even about all the habits but that it's really about how do we develop a better relationship with ourselves? Because a smaller body does not fix a broken self-concept. We need to start talking better to ourselves now and all the way down the scale. That's how you're going to create lasting change. That's how you're going to be able to do that when you get there so that when you lose your weight, you aren't still nitpicking your body and focused on all your flaws and how you're not measuring up. Because that shit sucks. Okay, I know because I've been there. Let me walk you through what this journal looks like. There are example answers in here to walk you through. But each month you've got like a little calendar to write in different dates. 
I also give you a page for habit tracker. There's a monthly plan. What are your goals? What might get in the way? How you're going to handle them? So we're going to start to preempt what's really going on in our life. Then I also have a weekly plan. You're also going to have weekly and monthly assessments. And then we have our daily stuff. So there's daily planned. We have planned food, actual food. Were you hungry? Were you satisfied? And so just starting to track and notice, oh, this is what's going on. This is what's coming up for me. The more data we have, the better we can solve the problems, the better we can really identify what is the issue and how will I solve it. So really tracking the habits is so important. I don't care how on track you are. I want you to start to see where you can improve. And it was really interesting because I was really doing this a lot before I got pregnant, late 2019, early 2020. I was tracking this for myself. And I noticed that I would make a plan every day. I would assess. I would really listen to hunger and satiety. But I only followed my plan 40 to 50% of the time on average. And the interesting thing was I still lost weight not being perfect. I still lost weight when I was doing something about half of the time. But it really helped me to see where I wasn't being realistic with my plan. And that's the thing is because it's not about I just have to follow this food plan. It's identifying, oh, I'm not making a realistic plan. Or there are urges that I continue to give into or cravings that I continue to say yes to. How do I solve for that? Let me get into the emotional aspect of things and then also solve the cravings and like what my body might truly be needing. So again, the the data here just gives us more to work with and it helps us see what is the real issue? What's really at play underneath the surface that's below, well, I just need to try harder. I just need to eat these foods. This is such a great way that you can have me in your back pocket. You can have me in your brain. You have me now to guide you through some of this stuff. At the very end, there's a 60-day self-assessment. So I walk you through to look for what are you most proud of yourself for. We look at actions that you're going to continue the next month what you want to do more of, what you want to do less of, things that you're working on believing about yourself. And I think this is really important too, is having new thoughts and new beliefs about you and about what's possible for your life, not just for you in terms of weight loss in your body, but for your life as a whole. And then we finish with one reason why I'm worth this work. Such an important piece of finding success is finding ways that you can build the consistency. And remember, consistency comes from having a simple, doable plan and the right mindset, the right thoughts. If you haven't yet gotten your copy, make sure you pick it up. It's on Amazon. There's a color version and black and white. It's called The Body You Crave 60-Day Planner and Self-Love Journal. I'll have links in the description and the show notes for this episode. But if you haven't ordered yours yet, what are you waiting for? Get on it. This is one of the easiest, cheapest, fastest ways to start seeing results and to get results now. If you would like some help, if listening to this has opened your eyes to some of the challenges and maybe some of the things that you might be dealing with and struggling with, and you know that while a journal is great, you want some extra time and attention and you want that extra focus on yourself, on your goals, on creating the life and the body that you crave. That is you, then I would love to chat. I have a few more spots available to work with me one-on-one. You can go to www.bodyyoucrave.com forward slash schedule and find a day and time on my calendar that works for you. And we'll sit down for about an hour and talk through where are you now? Where do you want to be in six months or 12 months? And I'm going to help you really identify the real obstacles, the real challenges that are standing in your way and preventing you from creating the results that you truly want in life. All areas, okay? Because we do not eat in a vacuum. If you are interested in learning more, 
then hop on a call. Again, there's no obligation. If you're just curious, if you want to explore what this might look like, there's no pressure. It's just an opportunity to see if this would be a good fit for both of us. And if not, then I'll send you away with some other resources, maybe another person for you to reach out to or to contact, and where else you might want to put some time and energy and attention. All right, y'all. I hope you have a fabulous week. Here is to creating the life and body you crave. If you like this episode, then you'll love my free virtual workshop, Five Keys to End Emotional Eating and Lose Excess Weight for Life. You'll learn the counterintuitive reason why all your attempts to restrict food over the years has actually led to weight gain and the mental switch you need to flick that'll have you dropping pounds without sacrificing wine, carbs, or the food you love. Get all the details at bodyyoucrave.com.